The reading this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. John said, I'm uh, head of church relations uh, for Open Doors, and Open Doors exists to stand with and strengthen the church around the world who share our faith, but not our freedom. Brother Andrew founded it about 65 years ago, and uh, he had a word from God, and it was from Revelation, where it said, wake up and strengthen that which remains and is about to die. And uh, it was really clear for him, he'd, and he'd, he, but he didn't really know really what that meant until he discovered Christians around the world who desperately wanted to worship him in freedom but were not able to. And, uh, and, and so from there, really, we've been, had the privilege of being able to uh, share with our brothers and sisters around the world. I don't know, how, how many people have read this book, actually, God's, God's Smuggler, the story of Brother Andrew? My dad read this to me when I was nine years old. We were on holiday down in Cornwall, and I used to love surf, well, I still do, love surfing. And um, this was the one time when every morning he would read a chapter of this book to us, of God's Smuggler. And when he got to the end of the chapter, I was like, Dad, read the next one. Because I got so into it, I was so moved by this man's faith and his story and his willingness to take the gospel across borders where it was completely illegal to go. And um, I had the privilege of meeting Brother Andrew soon after I started at Open Doors. And um, I went to meet him in Holland. He's still alive. He's in his 90s. And I just said to him, as someone starting out in this ministry, what advice would you give to me? I thought it was a good question. But I'm, it's probably the wrong question to ask someone like Brother Andrew. But he said this to me. He eyeballed me and he said, if I had my time again, I would take more risks. And this was a man who took huge risks for God. And uh, if you want to have your faith challenged, inspired, encouraged, then do um, take one of those. I'd love to make them freely available to you this morning. So please do that. Is this microphone okay or do I need a... Uh... It's fine? Okay. Fantastic. Okay, where are we? Have we? Can we get the PowerPoint? That would be amazing. Dangerous faith. So, this. Can we go to the next slide? Ah, oh, I'm not turned it on. That's what's happened. There we go. Great. So this is a, a lady. I'm sorry I can't show you her face for security reasons, but her name is King Sungwa. Kim Sungwa, and uh, she is. Tw- she was 12 years old when she discovered uh, a secret, a secret com- like a secret compartment, a secret cupboard in their house. She's from North Korea, and uh, in North Korea, it's completely illegal to own a Bible. If you are caught with a Bible, that's enough to put you in prison, in labor camp, um, where you will be for the rest of your life. Not only you, but your children and your children's children. And, uh, and, and it's, it's a really, really tough place to live as a Christian. And children in school are encouraged to go home and to look for a black book 
to go and look for a Bible. And if they discover it, they're, they're told that actually it's a dangerous book. And it'll be dangerous for your parents, it'll be dangerous for you. So if you find it, you must come and tell us because it's a danger to your whole family. And uh, so she discovers, Kim Sung-wha, she discovers as she puts her hand into this cupboard, she finds a book and she pulls it out and it's a Bible. And uh, she says this, she says, one of my most vivid childhood memories was when I stumbled across a family secret. In our house was a hidden closet. When I was 12, I accidentally found it. I don't know why, but I started to feel inside the cabinet with my hand, and I felt something. I felt a book. I pulled it out. I flicked it open and began to read from the beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I immediately stopped reading and began to shiver. I dropped the book to the ground. I was so scared. My discovery could cost me my life. I was afraid to even touch it. But I couldn't just leave it there. So I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and picked up the book and put it back in the closet, back where I'd found it. Then I faced the biggest choice of my life. Should I tell my teachers? Should I betray my parents? For 15 days, I couldn't think about anything else. I didn't know what to do. I knew it was my duty to report this illegal book. But I also wanted to know about this God I'd read about. Kim Sung-wha eventually goes to her father before going to her teachers at school and tells him that she's found the Bible. And he has the privilege of leading his daughter to faith in Jesus Christ. And she discovers for herself what it really means to follow Jesus and what it means to live a dangerous faith. So we had this passage read to us just now, Colossians 4, verse 2. And this is Paul writing to the church in, Philipp- in Colossae, sorry, and uh, he's, he himself used to be a persecutor of the church until that, that dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus where his life was completely turned around. And now he's, he's become a follower of Jesus and he's being persecuted himself. And he writes from prison to the church in Colossae and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, as I was preparing to come here to Christ Church, I, I said, God, what, what do you want me to bring? And I just felt God lead me to this passage of Scripture. And I've not come to tell you um, you need to pray more. I know you're a praying church here. I, and it's great to see that you've got the prayer boiler room, is it, next Monday? And I would encourage you all to go, to be there, to pray together. But Paul here is telling the church, devote yourselves to prayer. You know what? We're all created by God as people who are, will be devoted to something or someone. That's the way we've been created. And Paul here is encouraging the church to be devoted to Jesus in prayer. Prayer is all about communicating, isn't it? Hearing from God, speaking to God. 
speaking to Jesus. Devote yourself to prayer. And then he says, being watchful and thankful. So what does that mean? What does being watchful mean? These are, these are Paul's final instructions to the church in Colossae. This, is, this, this book only has, or this letter only has, four chapters to it. And this is the final chapter. And, and I don't know about you, those of you who are married, but when my wife goes away somewhere, I know I need to listen out to the very final instructions she gives me. Anyone else rec- would recommend, would, would kind of identify with that? It's normally something like, don't forget to water the flowers. And um, I know if I don't water those flowers and she comes back and discovers it, I'm going to be in big trouble when she gets back. And this is Paul's kind of last thing that he's saying to the church. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So being watchful, what does, what does that mean? I, I, I believe it means that we need to keep our focus on Jesus and what God is doing. Not, not just the seen, but the unseen. In another, in another passage of scripture, it talks about, doesn't it, the seen being, um, being temporary, but the unseen being eternal. The things that God sees, so that we can actually see things from, from his perspective, not just from our perspective, from where we are now, but we can understand things and see things the way he sees it. So being watchful. And then Paul says being thankful. Now, I don't know about you, but if my family, if my wife and three girls were here now, they would, they would tell you that I don't have to try very hard at being grumpy. I, I can be really grumpy sometimes. I can moan, I can complain, especially if things aren't going the way I want them to or if I'm not feeling great. I, I can complain. But what I've discovered is that it's really, really hard to, to complain and be thankful at the same time, isn't it? And, and do you know what? There's something about being thankful that I believe is the way God wants us to be, the attitude, the kind of people that we are, that we're thankful people, that we come to God, we come in God in prayer, being thankful to him for who he is, for what he's done. We had Hei Wu come from North Korea who was in prison for her faith and miraculously escaped. She came to New Wine a couple of years ago in Spring Harvest. Met, some of you may have met her if you were there. But when, when she, um, before she left, my colleague Eddie Lyle said to her, uh, is there anything you've sensed God might be saying to the church here in the UK? And she said this. She said, cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. And I know in my life, I know I need to keep reminding myself to be thankful. We have so much, don't we, to be thankful for. And we need to remember that as we come to God in prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then Paul says this, and pray for us too. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I was Paul in prison, I mean, these, this was probably not prisons as we have here. This would have been a prison where he was probably chained to a wall. It was probably dirty. It was probably smelly. There was probably no toilets. Uh, he probably had very little food, and it was probably awful food if he had, when he had it. There was probably rats running around the cell that he was in. 
If I'd written a letter to the church and I'd been Paul, I think my letter would have been something like, it's terrible in here. It's awful. Please pray that God will get me out. That would, be my, that would probably be my letter if I was Paul writing to the church. But this is what Paul writes. He says, and pray for us too that God would open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which we're in chains. There's no, there's no groaning there or, or moaning or complaining, is there? He's using, he's just saying, God, in, this, in the place I find myself, in the suffering that I'm in, God, would you open a door? Make it possible for me to be a witness to you, to proclaim the gospel of Christ for which I'm in chains. And then Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter one, he says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So what's happened to Paul? As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Don't you think that's remarkable? Paul is put in prison for his faith in Jesus, for living out the gospel message. And the people, the church has become more confident in sharing their faith as a result. I think that's remarkable. I don't know if you could imagine, maybe if John here was put into prison as being vicar of Christ Church here. And the police were to come here and to stand where I am now and to say to all of you, if you continue following Jesus, if you continue telling people about Jesus, then you'll be put in prison too. Would that make you more confident in sharing your faith or less? Interesting question, isn't it? But here in Philippi, they've become more confident in sharing their faith. And the incredible thing is, as I have the privilege of going and visiting some of our brothers and sisters around the world who live in places where they are persecuted for their faith, I've discovered that they've become more confident in sharing their faith in Jesus. And we have, I know I have, so much to learn from them. And I just hope as I share a few of the stories this morning of some of the people that I've met, that it will encourage and inspire your faith here. So dangerous faith is the story of the early church. Jesus' invitation to us is to share in this same story. That's the call. The German theologian Bonhoeffer said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Following Jesus has never been easy. This is the reality of dangerous faith in 2020. Uh, I just want to show you, this is the Open Doors uh, World Watch list. Uh, You may have come across it before. And it just shows the top 50 countries in the world where it's most dangerous to live as a follower of Jesus. North Korea has been number one on that list now for the last 18 years. 
And uh, each year we launch this in Parliament. And uh, this year in January, again, we launched it in Parliament. It was obviously they just voted in new members of Parliament in December. And so we weren't, we, we didn't get, we weren't able to get the invitations out until really late, so we didn't know how many would come. But we ended up with about 123 MPs, which is the most we've ever had. And um, we presented each one of them with this report, which just shows them a little bit more about how we get to the top 50 most dangerous countries in the world to live as a Christian, and some of the trends and things that we see. Um, if you'd like a copy of that, they're freely available um, on the table over there. Please do take one of those. The other thing that we produce is, um, is this guide to the top 50 countries. And it just gives you a little bit of information about each of those countries. Some people just take one a week and just pray and read about that, that country. And it just gives you a, a bit of information about the population, about the leader, um, about the, per, the source of persecution. And, and then three simple prayer points, three things to pray for, for that nation. And um, please, if you're... If, if you're able to, then I, I really encourage you to take one of these and pray for our brothers and sisters um, around the world. Do take one again. They're freely available. Um, please do take one if you can. I'm going to show you now just a short video which shows you the top five countries and will just give you a, a, an idea of what it might be like to live in one of those countries today. Today, there are 260 million Christians uh, on our planet today who live in places where they are vulnerable to extreme or high levels of persecution. Uh, that's a huge number, isn't it? And almost too big for us to even um, think of. But this might help a little bit. That's one in eight Christians globally. One in eight. So we're the other seven here today. That's... Um, that's four in five Christians in the Middle East uh, and Af North Africa who live in places where they face high levels of persecution. And they need our prayers and they need um, our support. This is a lady called Leah Sharabu. You may have heard of, about her. Um, she's been in the news just recently this week. In fact, her mother was here this week because two years ago, she was taken from her school. Uh, in fact, her whole class was taken. Over 100 girls were taken. And um, the others were later released. But Leah was kept because she refused to deny her faith in Jesus. She's 15 years old. Uh, my eldest daughter's 15 years old, and it brings it home to me when I think, wow, 15-year-old girl who's willing to stand for Jesus and live in that kind of captivity that she's in because of her faith in Jesus. So what will you do? What will we do? And I just want to give you just some practical ways of how we can stand with and support our brothers and sisters. And firstly, um, we can give. We can give. And um, just a, a, little bit, a little amount each month can make a huge difference into the lives of our brothers and sisters around the world. One of the things that we're um, asked, challenging really people to think about is, is what about, how about what you would spend on a subscription, say to Netflix or I don't know, maybe your members of National Trust or something like that. 
and maybe giving, matching that and giving it to support your brothers and sisters around the world. That can make a massive difference in helping them, encouraging them, in, in supporting them. First thing, the second thing, sorry, is to pray with them. Not for them, pray with them. I was with a pastor from Syria just recently, and he said to me, he said, please don't pray for us, pray with us. He said, if you pray for us, you'll probably pray the wrong things. He said, but pray with us. He said, please don't pray that persecution will stop. He said, God promised us persecution. It says in the Bible, doesn't it, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He said, we know it's coming. So pray that God will give us the strength to stand when it comes. And that's how they ask us to pray, that God will give them the strength to continue to run the race. And thirdly, is to speak up for our brothers and sisters around the world. To speak up for them. And there's many ways you can do that, and we'll be able to um, help you with that. And you can do that through... Um, sometimes we'll ask um, people to sign a petition. Sometimes we'll ask people to write to um, their local MP on a particular issue. And there's many ways that um, you can stand up for your persecuted brothers and sisters. And um, there's a form over there which feel free to take, which you can do any of those three things on. You can give, you can say, please send me some regular prayer updates, or how can I speak up for my brothers and sisters? And this form will help you to do that. I want to finish with a a story of a man um, called Bahir, who I met not very long ago. He's from Turkmenistan, and he had a big impact on me and my life and my faith journey. Uh, he, he grew up as a, as a Muslim in Turkmenistan. Uh, and he said one day, as, as a young man, an, an, uh, an evangelist from Moscow came to his town. Now, Turkmenistan used to be part of the former Soviet Union. And he said it was really tough growing up under communism. But he said that when this evangelist came, he said he told him the good news of the gospel. And he said, I just knew it was the truth. I knew what he was saying to me was what I'd been waiting to hear all of my life. And he said at three o'clock in the morning, he got down on his knees and with tears rolling down his face, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he said the change in me was so dramatic, I knew that I had to go and tell others about Jesus. By the way, he was Christian number seven in Turkmenistan. And he told his family about Jesus and most of his family came to faith. Many of his friends came to know Jesus. And over the next few years, he planted four or five churches in Turkmenistan, in a nation where it's completely illegal to witness and to tell people about Jesus. And his best friend one day went to Bahia and said to Bahia, you need to stop telling people about Jesus. Because if you don't, I'm going to report you to the police. And he knew he meant it. And he knew what would happen if he did. But he said to his friend, he said, look, I cannot stop telling people about Jesus. He's done so much for me. He said, I, 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 I need to tell people about Jesus. And so his friend reported him to the police. He ended up in prison where every day he was tortured for his faith. He said sometimes they would beat him up. He said sometimes they put nails in his bodies. He said they put him in the electric chair five times. And every time they said to him, deny your faith in Jesus and we'll stop. 
And each time he refused to deny his faith in Jesus. His friend who reported him to the police was there when he was being tortured. And he said, but here I told you, I told you to stop and you wouldn't listen. One day, one of the officers came into his cell and beat him up so badly that he thought he was going to die. And he said the the officer put his foot inside of his mouth and, and pushed his head against the concrete floor. And he said, but here, this mouth will never speak the name of Jesus again. And then he took his foot out of his mouth. And Bahia, with a little bit of energy left in his body, he looked up at the officer and he said, you can stop me talking about Jesus, but you can never change what Jesus has done in my heart. With that, two weeks later, he was released from prison. He said, I don't know why. He said, I think they just gave up on me. And uh, he ended up seeking refuge in another country for a while where he is now. And he now works for Sat7, which I don't know if you're familiar with Sat7. They're a broadcasting company that broadcast um, the gospel out to the, to, to the Arab and the Persian-speaking world. And every day he gets the opportunity to tell people the good news of Jesus. One day, his friend, who reported him to the police, phoned him up. Now, I don't know how he got hold of his phone number, but he did. And he said, but here, I need to speak to you. He said, can I come and see you? Remember, this is the man responsible for him going through all that torture. And he said, yeah, of course you can. He said, in fact, it's Christmas coming up in a few weeks. Why don't you come and spend Christmas with me and my family? So he went to spend Christmas with Bahir and his family. And when he arrived, he said to Bahir, he said, he said, Bahir, my life has fallen apart. He said, I, I became ill, and this illness meant that I wasn't able to work anymore, so I lost my job. He said, I became an alcoholic, and my wife and children left me. He said, my, my life has just fallen apart. He said, the difference between you and me is that when you needed your God, he was there for you. He said, when I needed my God, he wasn't there. But here, would you lead me to your God? And Bahia had the privilege of leading his friend to faith in Jesus. I said to Bahia, I said, wow, that is an incredible testimony of the goodness of God and how you stood and were faithful to God. I said, would you mind if I, I shared that story in churches in the UK when I have the privilege of going to speak? And he said, yeah, of course you can. And he let me take this picture. But he said, will you make me a promise? And I said, yeah, what's the promise? He said, every time you tell that story, or tell my story, he said, would you tell them this? He said, if I had to go through all that suffering again, I would. And then he said, because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And friends, That's what I want to leave you with this morning. Jesus is worth it. He's worth following. He's worth giving everything for. Don't ever give up following Jesus. Shall we pray together?
this way in an attitude of prayer. I, I just sense that God may be challenging some of us. I know I feel challenged. Every time I, I share but hear a story, it challenges me. Maybe this morning, you've never really fully surrendered your life to Jesus, given him complete control. I want to encourage you this morning. You can do that this morning. Maybe you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, you know what, I want to be a little bit more courageous. Hearing those stories has made me think, I, I want to take, take a bit of a risk. You know, we, are, we live in such a, a culture that is risk-averse. Sometimes we have to step out for Jesus. Sometimes we need to live our lives in a way that reflects him and shines his light in the darkness. And this morning, if, if you're saying, hey, God, help me to be a bit braver. I'm scared. But help me to live out a life that pleases you, that when I'm at work, I can be a witness to you. When I'm at school, when I'm at the, I don't know, when, when you're meeting your friends and people who don't yet know Jesus, that we'll be willing to take the opportunities that come our way and not shy away from them. Whatever you're sensing or feeling this morning, I want to give you an opportunity just to respond now in the quietness in your heart to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Jesus, that you are worth following. That you're worth living for. Jesus, help us to be a bit more courageous in the way we live out our lives for you. That people would see you, Jesus, in us and be drawn to you. And Father, I want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who share our faith but not our freedom. Maybe those who are in prison right now, like Bahia was. Pray that, Lord, they will know they're not alone. I ask that you would give them the strength to keep going and help them to, to know that they are a part of a bigger family. And there are people even here in Christ Church, Surbiton, who are remembering them and praying for them. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you for this church. I thank you that you're at work here and in this community. And I pray that their witness for you would be even, even brighter, even stronger in the days and weeks to come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?